Thank you, guys. Appreciate that gospel-centered song. Lord, I need you. I think uh, when you hear the topic of the sermon this morning, many since it has to do with parenting, I'm sure many parents have prayed that prayer. Lord, I need you. Um, well, welcome to our congregation this morning. I am. Um, uh, hope you're not too distracted with it being Super Bowl Sunday. Super Bowl is a phenomenon in our culture. And I read yesterday where uh, uh, last year, one third of the population watched the Super Bowl. One in every three people in this population watched the Super Bowl last year. And uh, I think, um, I hope I'm getting this right. The advertisement, 30 seconds, 5 million. I think it's $5 million for 30 seconds. So, if anybody has $5 million and you want to advertise something, maybe we could um, take a collection and advertise New Covenant Fellowship and invite everybody, one-third of the population, to join us next Sunday. (laughs) Well, we're back in the book of Proverbs this Communion Sunday. And this morning we begin a little study within the, the book. Uh, entitled The Wise Family. And Proverbs actually has a tremendous amount to say about all the different relationships in the family. Uh, marriage and, and um, how to run a household. And this morning we, we are going to look at the wise parent or wise parenting. Are we wise parents? According to the book of Proverbs. Are we raising our children in such a way... That they have or will have what it takes to venture out into the world to be prepared to live in the world that we have to live in this day. And make wise decisions for the glory of God. Are we wise parents? Have we prepared our children? Well, this little story, not so sure these parents know if they did the right thing. Teenage daughter... Brings home her new boyfriend to let the parents meet him. And he walks in the door and the parents take one look and they try their best to hide their expression. But here he is. He's got the leather jacket. He's got the motorcycle boots. He's got the tattoos, not just on arms, but coming out of his neck. He's got all the piercings. And so at the most discreet time that they could find in this visit where he wouldn't know what's going on, they pulled their daughter to the side and as diplomatically as possible uh, said, uh, honey, he doesn't look very nice. And she said, oh, mom, if he wasn't so nice, then why would he be doing 500 hours of community service? can almost see that happening. <clears throat> the main goal, if you, if you had to give a main goal, and there's just so many, it's so cumulative, but I think the main goal of, of parenting is, um, is to prepare our children for life. And for the Christian parent, it would be to prepare our children for a life that walks with God. Um, that's kind of a big picture. It's, it's not to raise them in such a way... 
that they remain dependent upon us so that we can keep them close to home as long as possible. It's not to raise them as our clones uh, so they can succeed in areas that we fail vicariously. It's it's not to uh, raise them as little trinkets of our tremendous parenting accomplishments and successes. The overall goal is to prepare them with what they need to know in life. And Proverbs helps us to do that because if you remember that the reason that these sayings, these wise sayings are given is so that people can live life and competently. They can live competent in regards to the realities of life. And so that's what Proverbs points us to. The first story about the tattooed boyfriend was in jest. But this little story is a true story. And Lisa and I actually watched the whole thing happen. And as I tell this story, just kind of ask yourself, maybe in the privacy of your own heart, do you think that's a wise parent? Well, Lisa and I were... In Dick's Sporting Goods in Richmond, returning some Christmas items uh, that were a fail on my part. So back to the store they go. And um, we were looking for the shortest line. And it was busy. We see this short line. There's only one family in it. We start to go over there. The other lines are long. We kind of can't figure out why nobody's in this line. And then I quickly found out we saw the, the, the cashier guy. He's counting change. He kind of gives us this look and he's counting change. Well, it turns out that the only family in that line is a mother and three kids. And I guess the oldest is three daughters. The oldest maybe seven and five and three or something like that. And the, uh, the guys counting change. And I guess they brought their bags or their piggy banks to the store to buy something very specifically. It was very calculated and they wanted to make sure they had enough money. So he had the job of counting to see if they had enough money to buy the items that they wanted to buy. And I really don't know what those items were, but they were very important to these girls. And so you kind of, you know, he was tied up. And so he's counting the first one and the first one gets, has enough money to get what they want. And he's counting the second one. The second one has enough money to get what they want. And they're all excited. Those girls are so happy. And then the three-year-old, she didn't have much there. But the, the guy was counting it. And he said, there's not enough to buy this. And she kind of, you know, has that look in her eyes of what does that mean? I hope it doesn't mean what I think it means. And the mother kind of reassured her that, yeah, it means what it, you think it means. You don't have enough. You can't buy this. And so she begins to cry. I mean, she's all upset. She doesn't get this thing. And now there's commentary going on in the people that are waiting in the other lines about what they think about what just happened. Because now this little girl is crying. And, you know, when a child cries, there's just something about it, especially for parents. We perk up and we think something isn't right in the world. You know, when you hear a child cry, it's like there's just something not not natural for a child to cry. There's something not right. So people start giving little commentaries. And there was an elderly couple behind us and they were grandparents and we heard them the, the lady say to the man her husband something like if that was your little Susie she wouldn't walk out of here without that because you get her everything she wants you know and he's yeah that's right that's right I spoil her rotten and you know so they were kind of thinking about the scenario and then 
the guy's like, ah, that's just, you, know, you, got, you got the impression that he really didn't think that the mother was doing the right thing. I mean, this poor little child was very distraught. And then he's like, what if she, what if they were just a dollar short or just a nickel short? You know, can't you just give them a nickel? I mean, what's the big deal? And then, and, and Lisa piped in and said, well, the, um, the mother's teaching a good lesson of value. And so anyway, people were giving their commentaries. So the little girl um, didn't have enough money. And the mother scooped her into her arms as she was crying. And they walked out of that store, the two older girls with their prizes. And the little girl still crying in mommy's arms. And out the door they go. Is that a wise parent? Is that a wise parent? Obviously, the mother was trying to... Um, Teach her, cho- their, her children the value of money. And I would assume behind that would be the value of maybe saving and being self-controlled and the value of work. Um, maybe they, they worked for that money. Maybe it was gifts, Christmas, I don't know. But obviously she was trying to teach her children that money has a value and you don't get everything that you want. But was that a wise parent? Because there were some there, I would say, that wouldn't be crazy about that idea. Because is it worth all of that? All the tears and all the trauma that the poor three-year-old had to go through? I mean, do we just assume when a child is crying around the parent that it's always the fault of the parent? Is there uh, such a thing as a good cry? Well, Proverbs helps us to kind of wrestle with some of these everyday Things that we have to deal with, especially as parents, and and if we're not parents now, don't tune me out, because statistically speaking, someday you're probably going to be a parent, so you'll need to know this information. But, you know, was that mom being mean? And what if the daughter was just a penny short, a nickel short? Would you make up the difference? Is it wrong for a child? Is there such a thing as a good cry? So we're, we're challenged with these kind of things. And uh, we want answers to those kind of things. It's interesting, as long as we have been around, um, and nobody can agree how long we've been in this world. Some people think thousands, some people think tens of thousands, and even millions. But as long as we've been around, every generation has its own challenges of parenting. We all have lots and lots of questions. We don't have it down today. So Proverbs is teaching people how to be wise, competence in regards of reality. And so I guess if, if you look at parenting, it's really trying to prepare our children to see the world that God made and to teach them what God said about it so that they can live in harmony with it and live in the reality that God has created for us. So we'll look at these things and it'll be take more than just one Sunday. But I think before we even venture into that, as I think about parenting, there's a very important question that needs to be answered that even our society's not so sure about. But when we think about instructing and disciplining, when we think about telling our kids what to do, raising them, uh, who has given us the authority to do that? And do parents even have the authority? And how much authority do parents have in being able to govern and shepherd their children. I think this is a very, very important question. So who says, I have to listen to my parents? Well, that would be God. The Bible says that parents have divine authority to instruct, 
to discipline. And that means telling kids what they can do and what they cannot do. It's not the state or the government. It's not society or peer pressure. Parents have a divine authority by design. So they have God's stamp of approval. We find this in one of the Ten Commandments. It's commandment number five of the ten. And by the way, if you're a parent, you need to know the Ten Commandments by heart because you are going to be using them quite a bit. So who, who knows the Ten? Do, do you know the Ten Commandments? You got them memorized? I see a few hands because you're afraid I'm going to ask you. Probably. I don't blame you. Shall no other gods before me shall not make for yourself a, a graven image shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And we're here doing what? Keeping the Sabbath holy. And then the fifth one is honor yourself or honor your father and mother. And then six uh, shall not murder, shall not commit adultery. Shall not steal. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. Two more. Bear false witness and then covet. Yeah. So you need to memorize those if your parents, especially because you're going to be using them a lot. So that's the Ten Commandments. And then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 also reiterates that when he says, um, now he's, he's written this letter to the Ephesian people, the Christians in Ephesus. So it's considered the Ephesian church. And they would circulate the letters that the apostles wrote to the churches. And so the people would get these. And most of the time they're addressed to adults. A lot of times they'll start their letters actually with greetings to certain people. And so as the families gathered to hear the word of God spoken, um, I would imagine that sometimes the children would tune themselves out because they never they're never written to me and they never talk to me. It's always about adults. And all of a sudden get to chapter six. And the person who's reading this letter to the Ephesian people would hear the word children. And so I'm imagining the children will be like, whoa, I'm in that letter. Somebody wants to speak to me for a change. What are you going to say to me? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with a promise that it may go with you well with you and that you may live long in the land. It's quoting the Old Testament. And so that's what the children would hear when these letters were being read. That's a specific word of God written to children. Does God speak to children? Yes. And the main goal, the main task for children in their lives, God's will is to honor mom and dad, to respect mom and dad as they raise you in the admonition of the Lord. So parents are given uh, the authority Uh, Great privilege and the tremendous challenge of playing this very important role in the formation of a child's heart and soul of a child's character. And what naturally happens is Christian or no Christian, uh, we pass our values down to our kids and they don't catch them all. They don't get them all. But uh, the things that are the most important to us, the things that are we're the most passionate about the things that we get the most angry about when we don't get them. 
our kids are watching all of that. And so they are being passed down. So for some families, it may be money. Money is what is, is what makes the world go around. It's what, the most important thing. And when mom and dad have lots of money, we, when we have lots of money, life is good. When we don't, life is terrible. So that value is being passed down. Could be good things like honesty is a very important thing in our family. It could be family itself is held in very high esteem. It could be Christianity, could be faith, uh, some other religion. Um, could be work, that the value of work is what's mainly pressed in our children. But our children are learning values from us based on how we react to life. What makes us the happiest and what makes us the saddest, uh, upset and so forth because they're a part of our family. So they're in that circle. A good thing to do if your kids are old enough, maybe after the message sometime today, um, is to, to say, you know, kids, based on the way that mom and I have parented you, what are a few things that you would say are the most important to us? What do you think we value the most? Be curious to hear what your kids would say, because they have an idea of what it is. And I, I hope it's the right things. So. Parents have a divine authority. So the, God's will for children would be. Listen to the voice of your parents as long as and I'll talk about this as long as they are raising you in the ways of the Lord. Now, this is important because there are a lot of voices in our culture, in our society that want children. They want to to persuade you. They want to to gain your favor. They want you to get you to go their way and to do the things that they want you to do. There are so many voices out there that are trying to turn you into what they want you to be, whether it's a faithful consumer or whatever. But God says the voice, the absolute main voice that your ears need to be tuned into. And when they speak, it needs to be esteemed as something valuable and important is the voice of your parents, assuming they are raising you in the admonition of the Lord. And if they are, even though mom and dad aren't perfect, and I used to think my parents were perfect, you know, you go through that age. But even though we are not perfect and we make mistakes, as long as we are raising you in the admonition of the Lord, that's God's will for you is to obey and to honor. The reality I know in this broken world, this cursed world and this world filled with sin is that sometimes uh, parents don't, don't do a very good job. Sometimes parents do very harmful things, in fact. Not all parents care about the job. Not all parents rise to the occasion of properly taking care of their children. And in our culture, you know, news travels faster than ever on the the WWW, right? The World Wide Web. But um, so now it's, it's not unusual for us to see for bad parenting to make headlines. Almost every summer we read about some poor infant that has been left in a car. It's 90. It's 100 degrees. The parent forgot about them. And sometimes they're found and saved. And sometimes they're not. They die of dehydration. These things make the headline. And you think, wow, um, it's been many years in, uh, ago, but. I was never a big fan of Michael Jackson, but one of the last things he did before his death, he was always making headlines. And I think he was in Paris or somewhere. I watched it on the news. He had just had his latest baby, whoever that is. Everybody wanted to see him because, I mean, he's like a king 
in the world. Treated that he's that popular of a celebrity. Everybody wanted to see this new baby. And he's up in some hotel room. Several stories up on the balcony. And finally they're all like cheering and waving. And he takes the infant and he holds it over the balcony rail. For everybody to see. Of course there's nothing but a, a hundred feet or so of air. Between the baby and the ground. And the headlines had fun with that. You know, that was not a smart parenting move on his on his end. Uh, last year in August in Florida, uh, NBC reported the story about a mother teaching her seven-year-old daughter how to steal liquor from the liquor store and not get caught. And they know this because it was all, you know, ABC stores has cameras everywhere. And it was like she was giving her this teaching lesson. It was all on film of how you can steal and put bottles and so forth and get away with it. I think we know what that parent treasured in her life. Also, last year, about the same time in August in Seattle, a mother was indicted for trying to sell her daughter's virginity for $400 for rent money. And you would be surprised how many uh, incidents like that happen in today's world. Things that are absurd, unfathomable. Also, last year in... Um, New York City, cops pulled over this truck. There's a 10-year-old boy driving it. The drunk father was in the passenger seat, and the father made the kid drive him because he was too drunk to do it. You know, some of these examples are actually mild to a lot of things that, that happen out there and for the kids that are taken advantage of by their parents. Parenting is a tremendous, bad parenting is a real-life tragedy that can create a lot of scars. You know, and I, I just want to say that we have as parents divine authority, but it's to do the right thing. It's to parent rightly. We don't have divine authority to tell our kids or to teach our kids to do wrong. And we don't have divine authority to abuse our kids. That's just wrong. And if there are kids out here that are in one of those hard situations where you're being taught to do wrong things against God's word or you're being abused, I would ask you, please... To not try to hold it in, but to find somebody that you know that, you, that loves you and that you can trust and that loves God and share that with them. Because as a pastor, I know that one of the tendencies of kids, if tragedy has happened in their life, is to hold it in. And they think, well, I can't tell anybody. I don't want to harm the person or make them look bad or it must be my fault. And that is not true. And that is very harmful for you to try to hold things in as a child or as a teenager. Please find somebody you know you can trust, that you know loves you, that loves God, and, and trust God to intervene and get that burden that you're not meant to carry off of your shoulders. So, yeah, there are a lot of examples of bad parenting. There are also a lot of examples of good parenting. We have great parents in this church. We are very blessed. We have awesome kids in this church as a result of good parenting. But we have divine authority by God to do the right thing, to do our children right. <clears throat> and it pays dividends. And also obeying our parents means that long life. Well, there are two primary ways. How do we do this? How do we parent wisely? There are two primary ways. There's lots of things we could say, but it's through instruction. It's through discipline. Those are the main words that the Bible uses in helping us to know 
how to do that. And we'll look at those at a future date. But before we tackle those, I want to talk about the thing that's always in the way of being a good parent. Always in the way of maybe looking good as a parent. It's always in the way of your plans that you have for your children. And that's um, what Proverbs calls folly. The folly that's in a child is the resistance that we always face. It's that thing in the elephant in the room. So we got to talk about folly and what does it mean and where does it come from? Because that's always what is challenging us in our parenting. And parenting is hard enough, especially when you start with infants, because they're dependent upon you for everything. And then on top of that, they have folly. So when we began to study on Proverbs, we began to define a lot of terms like discernment, uh, like wisdom, like prudence. And then we also on the other side, there are the the negative words like uh, being simple and being naive and being foolish. And foolish can mean just kind of being a, a, a silly, you know, real silly. But mostly what it means, it has a moral content to it. A lot of times today we think of somebody being foolish. You know, you're acting like a child. You're, you're being immature. Might even be a little cute. Or you might you, you picture somebody with a dunce cap on. They're not very smart. And that's not the biblical definition of a fool. A fool actually may have a very high IQ and be just as intelligent as anybody else. The difference is uh, the waywardness of their heart. They know what's going on. They know right and wrong, but they choose wrong. And that's what the Bible calls foolish. They have a disdain for God's truth. They have a disdain for instruction in some areas, a disdain uh, for discipline. They don't want to hear it. So it's this it's this uh, spiritual waywardness and an immorality of the heart. They know what's going on, but they choose to do wrong. They choose what to, uh, contrary anyway. And that's folly. And it's these kind of things that children wrestle with in their hearts that we have to face. So we have to talk about folly in order to really make any progress when it comes to parenting. So where does this folly come from? Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So that's where it is. That's where it comes from. It doesn't say it comes from outside. It doesn't even come from the Internet. It might be a source. But the main source of the foolishness, the waywardness, the obstinance, it's, it's bound up. It's in, that, it's in that child's heart. So not wanting to go with the flow of the family and do things that they're told. It's there. It's bound up. The obstinance, it's to different degrees. You know, we have some kids that just are really hard-headed and others that are just maybe a little hard-headed or others that are passively Obstinate, and we don't even realize they're obstinate. We think they're perfect. So it's different degrees, but it's not a surface issue. And therefore, it can't be dealt with as some kind of surface issue where we can put a lot of band-aids on different character issues. It's a heart issue. That it's coming from within their own being. And so in order to address a lot of the things that we have to address as parents, we have to get down into their being. We have to reach their heart. Solomon also says in Proverbs 23, 26, he says, my son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. That's what all of these wise sayings. He, he's wanting his sons to give him their hearts. 
Because when you have the heart in the Old Testament, it's the whole being. It's the mind, the intellect, the emotion, the wills, the will. And if, if, you, if you get that from a person, then you have them. They're going to listen to you. They're going to respect you. They're going to want to do these things. And so he's saying, my son, give me your heart. Listen to me and, and consider highly what I'm telling to you and these truths that I am imparting to you. I think it's the cry of every parent. We just want our kids' hearts. And then ultimately that their hearts, God would have their hearts. Because when you have the heart, you have the person there. Now, children, uh, parents aren't solely responsible for the formation of their children. But we are primarily responsible for the formation of our children. But the reason that parenting can be so hard is this folly issue. So that's what we want to talk about. What it means is what we would call in theology original sin. It means that it's bound up. It means that our children are actually born with this wayward tendency. To differing degrees again. But it's there. It comes from within. So that's what has to be addressed. Jeremiah 17, 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And then we read this this morning in Sunday school. Mark 7, beginning in verse 21. This is what Jesus says in one of his sermons. In one of his teachings. The, the Son of God. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and folly or foolishness. Now, what does he just... And then he says, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What has Jesus just done there? Notice that he didn't say them in order, but he's basically going through the Ten Commandments. You know, adultery and, and covetousness and murder and different shades of lying and bearing false witness. And then he ends with foolishness because to break any part of the law is foolishness. It's a waywardness. It's, it's obstinance against God's law. All of those are forms of foolishness. So foolishness isn't cute, really, at all. Why is it important to know this? Because... In order to really reach somebody, in order to really help someone, our children, we have to know their hearts. And that's where it's the hard work. This is the hard work of parenting. It's not a little technique that you can apply. And all of our children are different. So that means that we have to learn our children's hearts and learn what are those tendencies of waywardness for this child. And what are the tendencies for goodness? Because... The scriptures also teach that we are created in the image of God. And so there's there are gifts and talents and goodness that God has put in us that we can reflect in that image. So we want to find these things out and support those and and nurture those. But we want to to train against these other tendencies that our children might have. And the only way we can do that is through the hard work of getting to know our children and thinking through what's behind that act. What's behind those words? What? What is that heart communicating to me with these actions? It's not just taking away swiftly and, and giving them a spanking and never even dealing with why they did that in the first place. So this is the hardest thing to do, but it's the most powerful thing to do and it's the most necessary thing to do. We have to know this about ourselves and what we're capable of. 
so that we can be honest with ourselves, so that our kids can be honest with themselves. Let's say that, um, that's, so what would this look like in, in real life? Let me close with a few examples of what it might look like to reach the heart as opposed to just maybe surface parenting. Um, and uh, if I use any names, I didn't plan on, but if I happen to use any, it's, they've been changed to protect the innocent. No, actually, this is just a made-up story, but um, it may have really happened in your home. Who knows? But let's just say, you know, you've got some candy in your house. You keep it there. And you keep it on the upper shelf in the pantry. Uh, you've got young kids in the house that's in the upper shelf because uh, you don't want them to reach it. And you know that the kids are young. And if they had an opportunity, a lot of them would, if they could get their hands on it, they'd eat it all. And they would overdose on sugar. And it's just not good. They don't have the discernment and self-control they need. So it's a good thing. It's a, it's a household rule. It's a commandment. Thou shalt not eat the candy up on the shelf. It's for special occasions. It's for treats. Or whatever. The kids know about it. Um, and it's, a, it's good parenting to do that. Zebra cakes, Jolly Ranchers, candy corns, whatever. All that stuff that gives the cavities and, and gives the sugar highs and lows. Well, your four-year-old daughter walks into that pantry. Uh, by mistake, for whatever reason, you put the candy jar or bag uh, in the middle shelf instead of up on the top shelf. Maybe cleaning or whatever. And so the... Four-year-old walks in and sees something they're not used to seeing within their reach. And they like it. And so they take whatever the little four-year-old hands can, can handle. They wrap it in their shirt. And then what do they do? They look around and they immediately go to find a place that they can eat this candy. Uh, this girl goes into her closet to do it in her bedroom. She doesn't close the door all the way. It's too scary to close the door all the way. Got to leave it open a little bit. And uh, so she is in there, um, made sure nobody was looking. She knows that she's not allowed to do this. She knows that there are consequences to do this, but she's enjoying her candy. She's stuffing it in as fast as she can uh, to try to get rid of the evidence as quickly as she can. She doesn't want to get caught. But what has she done? She's, she's running from the law. She's just running from the law. She's trying to hide it. She's suppressing the truth. She's suppressing righteousness and darkness, the light and darkness. She's hiding her sin. She doesn't want to get caught. She's enjoying it. Um, just like Roman says, suppressing the truth. And so she's just uh, broken several of the Ten Commandments just in that one little act right there. Several of them gone. Broken. Um, and so the, the cutest little four-year-old in the whole wide world uh, is a... A thief and a liar. And among other things, that little girl that gives you those soft, warm hugs and kisses and sings the little Christian songs around the house um, just broke some major commandments. Then mom happens to be walking by and she hears some rough uh, candy wrappers or something, some noise. And so she pauses and she listens and she hears some chewing and looks around. And sure enough, there's her daughter in the closet eating that candy as soon as the daughter sees her she uh speeds up a little bit the jaws to try to get what's in her mouth gone as quickly as possible but she's caught right in the act she has a look of guilt on her on her face but that doesn't stop her from eating um so mom says uh 
Are you eating candy? Now, by this time, her mouth is able to close. Are you lying to me? What is the sticky stuff dripping all out of your mouth? I don't know. So it's candy and you know that it's candy. And then you get into the instruction training. You help them where you bring God's law and say, um, you have stolen this candy from the shelf. And you know you're not supposed to do that. And now you're lying to me about that. And there God gave us commandments about these things. And are you allowed to steal? Are you allowed to tell lies? So the, the daughter knows that she hasn't done any good. So then mom says, well, why did you, t- if you know this, why did you take the candy? And you probably already know what she says. Because you put it on the lower shelf. <laughs> and it's so good and I like it. So now it's mom's fault. See, she's a victim. It's the candy's fault because the candy's irresistible. <laughs> Nobody can, and it's mom's fault because mom didn't keep it out of her reach. And everybody knows if you put it where I can get it, it's your fault. Because I'm going to... So she's basically saying, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And you know, a lot of people live that approach to life. I am a victim. Where do they get that? Well, it's kind of the blame-shifting thing all the way back in the very beginning of mankind in the garden. What did Adam and Eve say? You know, it's God, it's in the end, it's your fault. You made the tree. You made the woman. You made the serpent. You put it right here where I can get to it. Obviously, I'm a victim. And it's all your fault. It's the woman's fault. It's their fault and so forth. So it's the victim mentality. It's a part of our evil nature. But think about this. When God created everything perfect... Did he put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil way up in the far corner of the, of the garden on the highest hill that's the hardest to reach? Hmm. He put it right smack dab in the middle of the garden to where you almost had to go around it every day to get anywhere. Now, what is that? He puts it right there where it's the most accessible. This way, the people are required to exercise things like self-control and trust and obedience and self-discipline and wisdom. All of these attributes that are reflect God's image are to be uh, modeled every day or to be practiced every day. He puts it right there and he says, don't eat of it. No exceptions. That's the good law. But he gets blamed for all of that. So. It's, uh, you know, it's exchanging the truth for the lie. It's breaking all of these commandments, so forth. And so then what you would want to do with this child, is you explain the law, you explain what they've broken to give them the moral reason why, as opposed to just you, you see that you see that they're eating candy. You're angry at them. You grab the hand, you take them out, you spank them, go to your room. Nothing's ever dealt with. Nothing's ever said. But you just know you got discipline, right? You got to do something. Well, training the heart, you help them see their hearts, you help them see God's law, and then you apply the gospel to it. And that is that God is also, we need to ask his forgiveness, acknowledge our wrong, and then rejoice in what? Not the goodness of candy. Rejoice in, that's a gift of God, but a greater gift is rejoicing in the forgiveness of God and the love of God. And how he 
he will still accept us and loves us just the same even when we do these things. And it's also wise, and we didn't learn this till a little later in life, uh, to admit that, you know, mom and dad need the gospel too. Sometimes we do things that we're not supposed to, and we have to ask God's forgiveness too. We're all in this together. We have the same nature. We don't want to put ourselves on a pedestal where our children think, I can never attain that. I'm just stuck in this sinful place. Another example of reaching the heart, last one, would be, let's just say, um, uh, you're working nursery. You got nursery duty this morning. And um, uh, there's one child in there at first. And he's playing with a train. And then another child comes in. As soon as the other child comes in, he takes the chain, train from the kid and wants to play from it. So now the kid that originally had it, the train is crying in tears. Uh, could get worse than that, but let's just leave it at that. So you have this situation. So what do you do? Obviously, more than likely, you go over to the, the child who grabbed the train and say, who had it first? Well, Junior had it first. Well, then we need to give it back to Junior because he had it first and that's what's fair. Is that wise parenting or wise instructing? So the next Sunday, all the, you know, the, the, the kid who was just disciplined because he didn't get it first, guess what he's going to do? He's going to be there first and he's going to get as many toys as he can because there's a rule to be fair you got to get things first. Right? That's what we teach them. Is that reaching the heart? What's the heart issue? The heart issue is selfishness. The heart issue is we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're supposed to share. We talked about that in Sunday school. One of the reasons we even work instead of stealing isn't just so we have everything we want. It's so we have money to even and possessions to give to other people. God's economy. So reaching the heart is a matter of uh, teaching them that that this is, uh, is not yours or his. This is a toy that somebody has donated. And God wants you to learn to love one another and share and get along. Get along. That's the issue of the heart, not fairness and who had it first. Then every kid in the church is going to run into the nursery as soon as they get here. It's only going to make things worse. So we have to think about what's behind it. What's What's behind this motivation? And how can I reach this person? How can I bring out the good and point to the bad? And then always bring in the gospel of Christ and how he forgives us. And he knows we do wrong things. And that's why he sent Jesus into this world. To love us through and to forgive us. And God wants to bring the good out in kids and parents. It's all formative. So... This is kind of what we're going to be looking at as we work through wise parenting, instruction, and discipline. But it's all aimed at, Proverbs points us right at the heart. And you're not going to find that in a lot of today's quick fix books on, books on parenting. I taught my kids grammar too. They read lots of books as growing up. But uh, you're not going to find that. It's a lot of quick fixes. It's hard work. But that's what's necessary to get to the heart. So as we continue to worship the Lord, we're going to sing some praise songs to him. Then we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. Um, just want to encourage us to, to think about you know, who's in our life, especially as parents. 
And if we're at that place where we need God's wisdom, we need to make some changes. Maybe we're just worn out. We have one of those kids that's very obstinate and it's a big challenge. And there's lots of folly that needs to be worked out. You know, just ask for God's strength and God's wisdom and God's guidance as we worship him in the house of the Lord. And may he be generous to depart his to impart his spirit in our hearts. So, team, if you come up and lead us in praising the excellencies of Christ, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion as well. May God bless the preaching of his word.